Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Good morning, 25 minutes now to 9. The time, time for your Mediated Conversation this Wednesday morning. Tomorrow, President Cyril Ramaphosa will join other African leaders at the Russia-Africa Summit, which is being held in St. Petersburg. The summit is due to discuss closer relationships between Russia and the 53 countries of Africa. But it occurs during a time of conflict. In Africa, the Wagner Group, which is backed by the Russian government, has been accused of benefiting from conflicts in the Central African Republic, Mali, Libya and Sudan. Sudan is in the grip of a conflict which may become a full-scale civil war. In the CAR, Wagner's soldiers arrived just before a referendum that could allow the current president there to have a third term in power. In Europe, Russia has invaded Ukraine, which has led to higher food prices around the world and particularly in Africa. Last week, Russia said it would withdraw from the Black Sea grain deal, which allowed around 10% of the world's grain to go through the Black Sea to international markets without being attacked by the Russian Navy. Russia's military has also been accused of attacking or bombing some of Ukraine's main grain storage facilities. In other words... All of this comes at a very interesting time. Well, first this morning, uh, your uh, is Faith Abedian. Faith is the international affairs analyst and founder and chair of the, of the Future Africa Foundation, a public sector development organization. Then you'll hear from Professor Patrick Bond, distinguished professor at the University of Johannesburg's Department of Sociology. He directs the Center for Social Change. And finally, Gideon Chitanga is at the African Center for the Study of the United States at Wits University. We start then with Faith Obedient. Faith, good morning and thanks for your time this morning. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I feel I must start with the name of the summit, maybe unfairly. The Russia-Africa Summit. Russia is one country. Is Africa one country? Obviously not. <laughs> Absolutely not. This is the continuation of an unfortunate trend, uh, especially with the summits being held outside of the African continent, in which our heads of state and our senior diplomats across the continent are shaped halfway across the world to go have conversations that are never going to be unilateral because African countries have varying needs. They're at different stages of development uh, and it is absolutely one-sided in favor uh, of, of the countries that, that offer the invitation. So this is this is a continuation of an unfortunate trend and, and, it, and it reeks of neocolonialism, to be honest, because it, it, it positions the host country in the driving seat and the others come almost as beggars uh, seeking favors from from this uh, foreign overlords. So this is not ideal, uh, but unfortunately, it has been our reality for quite a while now. Uh, uh, Russia is not the only one. There's been the EU-AU summit. There's a forum on Africa-China cooperation. The US had the US-Africa Leaders Summit. I mean, all of the great powers, can I call them that? They're doing exactly the same thing, it seems. And, and even beyond them, even Japan has held a Japan-Africa summit. There's been a Turkey-Africa summit. There's been a France-Africa summit. I mean, this, this, is, this is ludicrous, right, that, that one country can summon the heads of state from 54 countries for a conversation in which that one country is really offering what it sees as benefits for the, for the countries. And, and we're more than happy to sign these agreements. I mean, in the short term, these are mostly economic deals that, that offer our presidents a bit of an arm in the leg because these are the very same countries to which uh, they appeal for, for foreign aid, the very same countries that offer uh, um, some, some kinds of deals that allow, allow us to you know, build infrastructure projects on the continent, things of that nature. Uh, it is absolutely not ideal, but it also reflects the balance of economic power 
in the world. A lot of the deals, you look at a couple of countries in, in East Africa whose entire budgets uh, are driven by foreign aid, are driven by, by donations from the West. So this is, again, just a sad reality of, of the balance of global economic power. And from the point of view of these countries, it's a chance for them to uh, to wield their own influence in, in conversations and in competition with other countries as well to dominate global agenda. So this is this is a reflection of of where we stand in the world. Um, why would African leaders go? What is the benefit for Africa from going? And there's clearly, as you say, a benefit. Yeah, the, I think while the fact that the, the rest of the world is focused on a war uh, between Russia and Ukraine, or at least Russia in, in Ukraine, what the rest of the world hasn't moved on. There are a lot of other things on the cards that have to be achieved. For African countries, there are at least two strategic uh, objectives, a number of African countries, not all of them, at least two strategic objectives. One here is purely economic. The second is about security. From an economic point of view, Russia still supplies a lot of the grain that the African country needs, and Russia blocks the grain supplies from, from Ukraine, which we know about in the Black Sea Grain deal. So for African countries, uh, and, and you would have seen Putin's um, you know, article earlier this week, in which he's actually offering grain free of charge to African countries. Now, that will be delightful for African countries that require wheat, that require uh, other grain supplies that come in largely from from Russia and Ukraine. Oil itself, um, and cooking oil, largely comes in from that part of the world. So for African countries that have the threat of food security on their doors, Kenya being one in particular that comes to mind, having access to grain that they do not have to pay for, that strengthens the hand of Russia, but offers them economic relief for citizens, they would take it. The second is purely security. Uh, you know, a couple of African countries, you mentioned the CAR, rely on Wagner for, for, for support. Of course, Wagner is, is, is not an authentic fighting force, but our Wagner is very active on the continent. So being able to keep Wagner on side and being able to keep Putin on side in receiving the security support that they need, it's, it, it's, it's a benefit for them. So... This is largely, if you actually look at the, the official title of the summit, it's called the Russia-Africa Economic and Humanitarian Forum, which kind of indicates where the real focus is. This is this is for economic benefit for African countries. It strengthens Russia's hand, right? And for African countries, they've chosen to be non-aligned in order to allow them to still eat from both mm -hmm. sides of the table. That is just the fact of the matter. Is Russia, this is a big question, is Russia helping to develop countries on our continent? Uh, you can look at it from one of two ways. In the short term, if, uh, if Russia is offering the things that African countries need, African countries will take it. In the long term, does this really help the dependence? The dependence or does it allow us to become independent of our foreign donors? I don't know that we are going to become independent of these foreign donors. If we run halfway across the world to receive short-term aid, every time we need it. So Russia is not here to help us. Russia is here to help itself. And this offers short-term support to a number of African countries and long-term benefit to Africa. So at the, in the long run, Russia is still the big beneficiary of, of summits of this nature, as is the case for France, as is the case for, for Turkey, for Japan, for the US. If they are inviting, it's for them, not for us. But our countries have to play the long game as well and figure out how through these conversations we can continue to build dependence and also learn to play in a multipolar world. African countries cannot afford to, to, to ostracize 
any of the leading countries, any of the big global players. You have to be able to be at both conversations. Mm. The U.S. itself always retains diplomatic relations of some sort with Russia, with China, with any country that seems to be uh, at opposing ends of the U.S., of the big countries. They always have diplomatic relations. So African countries cannot afford to only ally with one side of the world and completely ignore the other. And a summit like this really helps uh, almost strengthens the hand of African countries in, in foreign negotiations because it proves that they can have support from elsewhere. If U.S. won't give it, if U.K. wouldn't give it, they can partner with Russia a lot closer. So it really strengthens the hands of African countries in their own global conversations. And there could be some win out of that. Faith Obedian, really appreciate the time. Thank you. International Affairs Analyst and Founder and Chair of the Future Africa Foundation. You were the SFM, 16 minutes to nine the time. Continuing your mediated conversation around the uh, uh, Russia-Africa Summit. Professor Patrick Bond holds the position of Distinguished Professor of Sociology at the University of Johannesburg. Professor Bond, good morning. Thank you very much for having me, Steve. Great to be with you. One of the key instruments of the Russian government in Africa is the Wagner Group. It operates in Africa, and I think I must say this, with the apparent support and approval of the Russian government. What role is it playing in Africa? Well, it is a, an interesting question. How much does Vladimir Putin uh, uh, explicitly approve or uh, implicitly approve? And certainly that that uh, reversed on uh, June 23rd when uh, Wagner Group went rogue and uh, even threatened on June 24th to, to march all the way to Moscow. And they, they got within a couple of hundred Ks. And uh, that meant that when the Wagner Group were sort of displaced into Belarus, uh, where the, the leader there, Lukashenko, who has very important ties to Zimbabwe, uh, where they basically are hosting the Wagner Group and they've withdrawn from the Ukrainian front. It is a very important question. Now, does that uh, imply uh, any change in the way Wagner is effectively running the Central African Republic and playing, I think, quite negative roles in, in Mali and Libya and uh, in Sudan, where they're been alleged to be backing the the rebels. Thousands have de- have died there. They have had a role closer to us in uh, Mozambique in 2019. Wagner sent in a, a few uh, forces, and uh, more than a dozen were killed by the Al Shabaab Islamic insurgency against uh, the government, also against the oil companies, uh, Total Energies, um, Exxon Mobil, Eni, China National Petroleum. That that Wagner were basically protecting, becoming a sort of private army. And uh, they had to retreat. It's, I think, the only place, aside from this Ukrainian front, where they've they've had this kind of uh, disaster and had to, to leave in a hurry. And in Lukashenko's case, I'm worried because a couple of uh, months ago, I happened to visit in Mutari, Zimbabwe, the uh, Belarusian uh, gold mine there in league with the Chinese mine, where they actually bury alive uh, the... Um, they did, I think, 10 uh, murders of uh, artisanal miners and uh, a, a very, very destructive role in, in Mutari and the Mutari River in their gold mining. So the extent to which we see, I think, Belarus uh, uh, mines and Lukashenko playing a bigger role in Zimbabwe, we should have some worry as do, as do the local environmental and, and social activists in the Center for Natural Resource Governance. That sort of sums up some of the things that are happening with Wagner. So, so Wagner, from what you say, is not developing or democratizing Africa. It's doing something else. 
Right. And I would say the same about uh, the private military contractors. PMCs are sometimes called mercenaries. We have plenty in South Africa. We have a we have a, a, a big company called Paramount that is also in northern Mozambique. We had a group, the Dyke Advisory Group, that went in right after Wagner. And they have been accused, uh, certainly Dyke Action Group, of, by Amnesty International of abuses. So I think shutting down some of these private forces, especially where they have their state of favored and often undemocratic leaders, such as in Central African Republic, would be important for the African leaders to ask of uh, Vladimir Putin. They won't, of course, because they, they don't want to offend him. The power relations are very adverse. The, the grain deal, even though Putin is, is bombing, even uh, as we speak, the last couple of days, Ukraine's uh, granaries, even on the Danube River, not just on the Black Sea port. Uh, it's a real mess. And I, I think the more Africa connects, these elites connect into what Putin is trying to do, it'll be the worse off for the masses of people. Why are some leaders allowing Wagner to play this kind of role? I mean, from what you say, they have big influence. Clearly, they're almost being allowed to by some of the leaders, almost encouraged or invited. Yes, there was a vacuum, especially, say, in, in, in Mali, uh, Burkina Faso, the French armies who had been so abusive over the years, they, they were pushed out. And so Wagner has come in with, with uh, more skills and equipment to assist uh, the, the coup governments. And in the case of Sudan, I'm sure they anticipate all sorts of deals. What what typically happens, I spoke to somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was in Nairobi talking uh, with a Central African Republic climate activist about the extent to which these uh, Relationships also include Wagner essentially looting minerals and uh, oil and uh, raw materials. So uh, there's quite a lot to be asked of. I, I suppose uh, we're, we'd look at the Egyptian leader. In addition to Cyril Ramaphosa, the major leader uh, who has related to uh, Vladimir Putin has been Fatah al-Sisi, the uh, Egyptian president who was a military dictator and uh, overthrew uh, an elected government and had been uh, strongly supportive of the U.S. and uh, in, as Egyptians have, but then has made a turn and he his country imports 12 million tons of grain. That's about a, a nearly a quarter of the the whole African import of grain. And so the extent to which Al Sisi who's condemned the invasion and then has tried to keep a, a friendly relationship with with uh, with Putin going, the extent to which he's able to say, articulate a, a critique of the way uh, Putin's attacks on Ukrainian grain exports will be a signal, I think, to all of us to say, well, will Africa potentially stand up to pretty profound injustices being visited by Moscow? Russia and the West are both trying to get the support or approval from African countries at the moment or to get um, us to, you know, condemn one or the other party. You heard uh, Faith Obedian making the point that uh, countries on our continent can sort of play one off against the other. How should uh, countries on our continent negotiate through this? Well, I would say that the, the old human rights standards, which sometimes are, are dismissed as unpragmatic, should be uh, at the core because it would continually give a sense, I think, that uh, that Africans uh, are opposed to both Washington and Moscow and where appropriate Beijing when there are major questions of human rights. We'll see this about a month from now when uh, the BRICS and BRICS Plus uh, group, which will not only include some uh, some you know controversial uh, characters within Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, but also uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Afghanistan, uh, uh, Nicaragua, lots of, uh, let's say, tyrants, dictators, and many carbon intensive uh, economies will probably be joining BRICS. And I think this is actually the time for uh, for people of conscience to say, well, maybe we're getting into a multipolar system uh, as against a US dominated 
uh, you know, sort of unipolar uh, multilateral system that also won't serve Africa's interests. We, we should probably look at an alternative, a non-polar system. And that way, if we do see South Africa involved in multilateralism, it's not going to be uh, tugged between these two big forces, the, the sort of BRICS uh, pole and uh, the Western pole. Professor Patrick Bond, thank you very much indeed. Really do appreciate the time. Distinguished Professor of Sociology at the University of Johannesburg. In a moment, your mediated conversation on the Russia-Africa Summit will continue. We'll speak to Gideon Chitanga, the African Centre for the Study of the US at Wits University. Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Six minutes now to nine. The time. Continue your mediated conversation around the Africa-Russia Summit. Gideon Chitanga is a research associate at the African Centre for the Study of the U.S. at Wits University. Gideon, good morning. Thanks very much indeed for your time this morning. Gideon, are you there? Ay, 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 ay. Gideon Chitanga? Uh, I don't know if you're there. It doesn't seem... Ah, all right. Gideon? Right, not sure what's happened there. We'll put that back to him. Do uh, for the moment. Uh, we have had a couple of connection problems uh, getting through to Gideon Chichanga this morning. Um, just to sort of get a different view, we've had uh, two views, strong views already, I think, on the Russia Africa Summit, and I'm sure you'll have your own view. Uh, but we are hoping to just uh, complete your mediated conversation. I think Gideon Chichanga with us now. Gideon Chichanga, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. We all know uh, that one of the best ways to have power in the world at the moment, you can have military power, but the other is economic power. And there's a reason why our government probably needs to listen to China, to Western governments. Does Russia have that kind of economic influence? Certainly, uh, Russia, when it comes to Africa, it has minimal leverage, economic leverage, compared to other powers, the U.S. and China. But there is a, a kind of a solid uh, ideological uh, uh, connection between African countries and Russia, if you like. And it looks like this um, ideological connection is taken for granted. But I think uh, Africans understand it in terms of their struggle for independence. And however minimal the role Russia played in supporting the liberation struggle, it's very important for African countries because the liberation struggle is something that is very important. And unfortunately, I think uh, Western policymakers and academics and civil society, they take uh, the basis of this relationship for granted. I listened, and I think Prof made a very critical point about other roles of China. For example, the exportation of uh, its security complex to Africa and the roles that it, it plays. There is a vacuum in African countries. Clearly, most of these African countries do not have a strong security structures, but also there is a political issue that is related to the different political systems that are aligned to Russia. Having said that, I think that Western countries, and China also to an extent, should be more proactive in strengthening security in these concerned countries. And the AU should speak strongly against the use and deployment of private security, uh, the Russian private security in African countries, if for no other reason than the fact that its role does not seem to foster security and stability, but rather it's exacerbating insecurity and conflict in African countries. Our president is likely to meet the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. I I would imagine one-on-one this week. Putin not coming to the BRICS head of state summit. 
How do you assess the relationship between them? Is it actually, do, do we think that there's difficulty or have they been working together? It's, it's quite a complex relationship, but I think President Ramaphosa is taking a, an intricate uh, diplomatic posture that allows him to at least have a conversation with the Russian president. And I think this is very important in the context of uh, a global polarization that we are in. There should be some leaders who can at least have the ear of Putin, and these leaders become interlocutors with other players. If uh, there is prospects for peace in the conflict in Ukraine, between Russia and Ukraine, but also in just a cooling off the high global temperature, polarized temperatures, then uh, we need some kind of conversation that is uh, as close to facts as possible, not only relying on the extended uh, arms of intelligence systems. So I think uh, for President Ramaphosa, uh, his diplomatic position is very crucial. And the question is whether he is going to at least um, uh, extract some concessions on the various issues uh, that are of global interest uh, and that are of continental interest, specifically for Africa. The U.S. is going to be watching all of this closely. They're obviously not at the Russia-Africa summit. Um, Do you expect them to react in a way to what happens at that summit? You see, uh, the summit is of interest to the U.S. and the West for sure. They are watching. They want to see what will happen. But I think that uh, uh, the position of the West uh, with respect to Africa should be less adversarial and maybe uh, try to take a posture that strengthens the African position, particularly in terms of engaging with Russia. Because at the moment, the West does not have much room and much leverage on Russia other than the hostilities that are happening. So possibly uh, Africa uh, could potentially play, and specifically President Ramaphosa, a very important position if his instruments of leverage are are, are enhanced. Gideon Chitanga, thank you very much indeed from the uh, Research Associate at the African Centre for the Study of the U.S. at Wits University. My thanks also to Professor Patrick Bond, Distinguished Professor at the University of Johannesburg Sociology Department and Director of the Centre for Social Change. And starting us off today, Faith Obedian, International Affairs Analyst and Founder and Chair of the Future Africa Foundation. Well, I hope you found that useful. We, of course, will be back with you tomorrow. Kathy is next. From Zoma, Binyana, Imdu, Stanza, myself, look after yourself. You're with SFM leading the conversation. It's 9 o'clock.